So this morning, as we kind of piggyback on those thoughts, we are into the second Sunday of the season of Advent. Now, those of you who have been with us for a while, have been part of a church that celebrated Advent or made that part of their story, uh, it's probably somewhat familiar to you, right? Advent is the, it's the four Sundays that kind of lead us up to Christmas. Um, the ad, word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. It's sort of the anticipation that is steeped in Jesus. Those the anticipation of his birth and the anticipation of his return. There are actually two Advents that we celebrate, right? One we look back to and one we look forward to. But historically, the church wasn't always connected with Advent in terms of setting us up for Christmas. Back in the, up until the 4th century, Advent was really about setting up Epiphany. And Epiphany is a January 6th. It's a season on the church calendar. It begins January 6th and ends with Lent. It's a preparation for Lent. But the Feast of Epiphany is on January 6th. And it's when the early church would baptize new believers. It was a day they would celebrate the Incarnation, which is the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ by baptizing new believers, and they would typically do it once a year, and they would go through all this incredible, rigorous testing and training because, of course, giving your life to Christ means something. It's costly. And so Advent was the lead-up to Epiphany. Nowadays, we've tied it to Christmas, which is rightly so. It's part of that anticipation for us. And this is the second week, and in this second week, we are kind of moving in this series, if you will. It's more just like a three-week look at Finding Jesus in some of the most unexpected places. Because Advent is a it's, a, it's kind of a season of holy surprises. It's God showing up in places that we never imagined God would be. And so we decided to take a look at some of those places, some of those unexpected places, and, and see why God does what he does. And then ask ourselves, what if we began to look for God in some of those same unexpected places in our own life? Brandon began, began the series for us last week as he talked about that first unexpected place that we find Jesus in the womb of this peasant girl, right? Brandon took on that week while I was at the Chiefs game watching Patrick Mahomes, which is exactly where Jesus would want me to spend the first Sunday of Advent, right? <laughs> he and I are best friends. He just doesn't know it yet. We both went to Tech, so we've got that going for us. But anyway, Brandon started that series. Today we're going to look nine months later and, and find Jesus in the next unexpected place that we see him, which is in the back of a cave that's meant for livestock and a feeding trough that was given to animals, celebrated by shepherds in the middle of this Middle Eastern night sky. It's part of the incredible story that makes up Christmas, one that we're super familiar with and one that we look at each year, and I'm not even sorry for it because I just love it. It's an incredible picture of God's sort of extravagant love and is showing up in the middle of places that God doesn't seem to, well, you wouldn't think he would want to show up at. To people that the majority of culture would throw things away at, God shows up and does just this incredible thing. And it's a really amazing picture, I think, for us to begin to slow down the season and look for God in these incredibly unexpected places. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to explore the next place that we find Jesus in this unexpected line of sort of unveiling his glory and his messiahship from the womb to the manger, and the next week will be in the temple. And we will see the progression of Jesus, the incarnation of God, the embodiment of God um, into the Messiah, Savior, 
of the world. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2, and let's pray, and then we will dive into our text um, this morning. God, we do thank you that we can gather as a community and just share some prayer needs, requests, things, stuff, hurts, pains, and that it's safe here. Um, It's safe among people that we trust. We know that they pray alongside us and for us, and being vulnerable in those areas is challenging, but Lord, we're grateful that we can do it. That the body of Christ is this sort of unified, beautiful picture of your goodness. And Lord, as we open up Luke chapter 2 today, and we look at a very familiar story, and we talk about angels and shepherds and mangers and things, God, let us look past the normalcy and into what is incredibly unexpected and not normal. That the God that created the stars, the God that breathed life into humanity's lungs, the God that took the dirt and gave it its nutrients to produce, shows up in the middle of the Middle Eastern night sky to a bunch of throwaways and announces the coming of the kingdom of God to the person of Jesus. Not to royalty, not to the politicians, not to the religious elite, not to the wealthy, but to just ordinary boys in the most unexpected places, which is where we tend to even find you moving and working today. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord for the next few moments just to teach you something new. It doesn't matter. I don't even know what it might be, but just ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. Take a moment as we do each week and pray for someone around you, beside you. Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't. doesn't really matter. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday is not about you. Be a person that loves to pray for people. Pray that God would move in them, that he would do something awesome in their heart this morning. Lord, we turn our time over to you. We ask that the next moments would be filled with your glory, that you would speak, that you would teach us through your word. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. And so teach our hearts the unexpected through the familiar. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So Advent is really this sort of, um, it's living in the, the already yet not yet part of the kingdom of God, right? The already meaning Jesus has, he has shown up, he has been born, he has lived and he has died, he has been resurrected, yet there is this promise that he is going to return. So we live in the already and the not yet. And the incarnation is this sort of fancy theological term which means the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It means that God became flesh. It's Somewhat complicated, but perhaps the most incredibly important theological concept there is, which is God became flesh in the person of Jesus to walk this earth, sinless and perfect, to be beaten, accused, abused, put on a sham of a trial, crucified and raised from the dead, all so that we might have life in Christ, new life, right? It's the gospel in a nutshell. But the incarnation is God embodying Jesus, and This season, we tend to think about peace on earth and the subtleties of us just all getting along. Like if you go to the greeting card section in Walmart and you go to the religious 
kind of cards that are there, and you see everybody sitting around the manger, kneeling, holding hands. Everything seems to be quiet. Carols, hot chocolate, like the whole bit. It's not really what the incarnation is. The incarnation is a radical collision between heaven and earth. It is holy, majestic, wondrous, mighty, enormous God crashing into sinful, desperate humanity through the cries of an infant. John calls it light piercing the darkness. We're not talking about the easing in. We're talking about something radical. And the incarnation is this incredible, radical, powerful picture of heaven and earth in this intense collision. Right? And what we see happening this morning in Luke chapter 2 is going to be a, well, it's going to be a picture of that incredible collision, which means that Christmas and Advent can't be reduced to just hand-holding and carol singing, but it's this incredible collision between the beauty of holiness of God and the reckless sinlessness, sinfulness of humanity. We're going to see a picture of that in Luke chapter 2, which is just one of my favorite texts in the season. Here's what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. There will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God of the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had heard them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen, which were just as they had been told. Super familiar text, right? Like if you've grown up in the church at all, this is part of your Christmas story. You're actually going to hear it multiple times between now and the 22nd. It's, it's coming through songs that we sing. The kids are going to talk about it and sing about it. Our service on the 22nd is going to be steeped in this because this part of the um, story that we have here with Christmas time is steeped in these characters. And these characters are vitally important to understanding what God is doing. And so what we see here as Mary goes to give birth, Right? You remember the story. They were headed to Bethlehem because there was a census that was being taken. And they had to return to their hometowns. And they head to Bethlehem, of course. And when they arrive there, you remember the story, there's no room at the inn, right? And so they go to the manger. But what we really know is it wasn't a wooden barn. It was really more of a cave that was carved out for livestock, keeping them kind of safe from the elements. And they go back in this cave, and Mary has Jesus, right? That's the story. Well, Luke 2 picks up and tells us how the birth announcement of the Savior of the world came to be. And it says, in the middle of the night sky in the Middle East, over the town of Bethlehem, there were shepherds that were living out in the fields. They were literally living there among the sheep. Now, the incredible thing about this to me is that this is how the God of the universe chooses to make his announcement. Now, shepherds were essentially throwaway boys. 
They were boys that the majority of their families did not have any things for them to do or real work for them to do, where they were the babies of the families, and they were put out of the field at the age of 12, and they lived amongst the sheep, and their entire job was to make sure that not one sheep died. That was it. We know this story. It's all through Scripture. In fact, we know it from King David. Do you remember way back when Samuel goes looking to anoint the king of Israel? And he goes to Jesse, and he says, Jesse, God has told me that one of your sons is going to be king. And Jesse's like, awesome, i got a ton of them. I'm great at making sons, man. It's like my spiritual gift. He brings seven strapping men out. Lines them all up. Samuel walks by and goes, no, 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 no. Gets to the end and he goes, that's it? This is all you got? And he's like, no, i got one more, but he's out with the sheep. He's the youngest. He's a throwaway. In fact, he didn't even get invited to this thing, this party, this king selecting thing. And Samuel says, go and get him. I'm not going to sit down until he comes back. So they send for David, right, out in the sheep, doesn't even get invited. And, of course, he is the one, right, and we, we know all this from that story. And Samuel anoints him as king. But David was a shepherd boy, a throwaway kid that wasn't even invited to the gathering where they were going to select the king of Israel from one of his family members. So we know that these shepherds were boys that lived out amongst the sheep, protecting them from wolves and wild animals, and that was their entire job, and they lived together and nobody cared about them. And that's true, it's not an exaggeration. And so we have these shepherds that are out living in the fields nearby, right, in Bethlehem, out in these fields, living nearby, tending the sheep at night, which means they stayed awake. Took turns, took shifts, making sure that wild animals didn't come and kill the sheep. When an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. So imagine this, this group of young boys, 12 to 15 years of age, out there protecting sheep. They've seen everything. They've seen the wild animals. They beat them off with staffs. They've gotten uh, sheep out of these rocky crags. They've taken sheep and put them down. These are not inexperienced boys. These are young men living risky lives. And an angel of the Lord appears before them in the middle of the night sky. It says, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And we're not talking about a little flash of light. We're talking about the Shekinah glory of God, which is the kind of glory that knocks Saul to the ground and blinds him, the kind of glory that explodes the evening, the light that pierces the darkness. And we know that because the boys are terrified. We skip that part of the verse, right? In all of our nativity scenes, we have this little angel that's hanging on a hook above the barn. Yeah? And guess what? Everyone's just sort of kneeling there. If we really had a real nativity scene, it'd be hanging out over here somewhere, and everyone would be laying down, right? Over there. They were terrified. And I'm not talking about like afraid, but like petrified. And this is actually very common in Scripture. In fact, it's so common, we could cover a dozen different instances where the glory of God shows up and humanity falls apart. And they were afraid. And the angel of the Lord, of course, knew that, right? This is holy, majestic presence, Shekinah glory of God. And the shepherds fall apart. They're terrified. So what does the angel of the Lord do, right? angel of the Lord says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town 
of Bethlehem, or the town of David, it says here, a Savior will be born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. So he says, listen, don't be afraid. The angel Lord, the habit of saying, listen, it's okay, get up, don't be afraid. Today, I am bringing you good news, and that good news is for all the people. Not just for you, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. This is the announcement that the Gentiles are going to be grafted into the promises of God. This is where it first comes. It's a bunch of shepherd boys. This is the greatest promise that you and that I will ever be given. The announcement of the great news that the Savior was not for a select few. But this announcement is the birth announcement of the Savior of the world that came and redeemed you and redeemed me. And he says, today in the town of David, and we know that to be the town of David is Bethlehem because David was actually anointed there and most likely grew up there. And so it's the same concept. Bethlehem is the town of David. Today in the town of David in Bethlehem, which is just over there, most literally three shakes of a lamb's tail. By the way, which is a designation of time, right? Right over there. The Savior has been born to you, and this news is for all people. He is the Christ. Remember, Christ is a, is a title, not a last name. It's not Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's a title, the anointed one. Today in the town of David, the Christ, the one that you have been anticipating, the Messiah that was foretold through all the law and the prophets has been born. Right? And then something incredible happens. It says, suddenly, as if all that was not startling enough, right? Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared, and the angel of the Lord praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom, with whom his favor rests. So as if the angel of the Lord was speaking and everything wasn't startling enough, that now this glory is kind of, kind of glory of God, this angel of the Lord speaking in the middle of this field in the night sky, the angel of the Lord starts speaking to them, and as if that wasn't enough, it says that in this incredible great host of angels appears, and a concert of concerts breaks out. Now I don't know what a great company looks like to God, but I know what it looks like to me. Probably about 20. But I'm guessing the Lord, it's about 20,000. I have no idea, but I can't imagine it measures to my imagination. And so in the middle of this night sky, surrounded by the glory of God, is a speaking angel that says, great news has come. And when he announces that, he is gathered with this incredible host. In other words, all of heaven explodes. Luke 15 talks about it when Jesus talks this parable about how well, that the, the heaven it basically rejoices collectively over one sinner who repents. I imagine that situation is somewhat similar. That when the angel of the Lord makes the birth announcement of Jesus, all of heaven explodes. And they begin to chant and sing, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men with whom his favor rests. Peace on earth. Peace to men. I could talk about this for about two hours, but I won't because, well, I just won't. But here's the idea. We have a really misguided understanding of peace on earth when it comes to the incarnation of Jesus. Right? Our idea of peace on earth is that around this time we should all just get along. We should all hold hands, drop our weapons, be friendly and hug each other. Share a cup of hot chocolate, binding us together. There's peace on earth. The problem is the back end of that verse says something very powerful. It says, peace 
to men on whom his favor rests. The Prince of Peace, Jesus, did not break into humanity through this violent act of light piercing the darkness so that everybody could hug each other. He did not break into humanity so that we could all get along in the sake of tolerance for tolerance sake. But the Prince of Peace broke into humanity so that we might have peace with God because our hearts are fully at war with God. Our sin-riddled hearts are fully at war with the holiness of God. And we are destined for eternity in hell. That is a promise of Scripture without mediation. And so the Prince of Peace breaks into humanity to grant peace to men, to those whom whom God favors rests. Meaning those whom God has settled and peace-filled their soul will have peace on earth. Meaning as long as you are at war with God, you will never have peace. As long as your heart, your sin-riddled heart, has not been redeemed by the glory of Jesus, you will always be at war with God. In fact, Paul tells us that we are enemies of God because of our behavior. That we don't know peace until we surrender our heart to the mercy and grace of Jesus. This is the good news that the angel was announcing. He wasn't coming to the angels to say, hey, it's all it's Christmas time, man. Put the lights up. Right? Call your mom. Send cards out with pictures of your kids. We'll all just love it. Hang them on our refrigerators. Jesus breaks into the night sky to basically say, you no longer have to be at war with God. But when you have me, essentially, you have peace in your heart. And God's favor rests on you through Jesus. Not because you did anything or earned it or worked your way there, but because Jesus, your Savior, the good news, becomes a settlement for your sin. This is the peace on earth we talk about. This is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Not this meek, mild, kind of tempered fellow that walks in and says a bunch of neat sayings and everyone says, I really like that teacher. No, this is the violent act of heaven breaking into earth. This is Jesus that goes through this violent movement of being arrested and beaten, crucified, voluntarily hung for the sins of humanity. Does that sound peaceful to you? Does it sound like hand-holding and kumbaya carol singing? No, it sounds like a radical collision between sinless glory and our deepest darkness. Well, this is what breaks in. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men with whom his favor rests. And then the angels are gone. (laughs) And the shepherd boys are left looking at themselves. And this is what they decide. Let's go. We're going to Bethlehem. We've got to see this thing that's happened the Lord just told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Shepherds don't leave their sheep ever. Ever. Because if they did and they lost all their sheep, they would most likely be banished. But they left. They hurried off, which I would love to see what that looks like. I'm guessing it's, you ever seen a 12-year-old boy run with something he's excited about? That kind of hurry is pretty cool. Running through these fields, guided by the night sky, 
into Bethlehem to find just what the angel had proclaimed, Mary and Joseph in this cave with this baby who's wrapped in cloth, lying in a wooden trough that was used to feed cattle or goats, just as the angel had told them. They can't believe it. I mean, it's all true. So then they leave and they spread the word, right? On their way back to the fields, which is the only place they know to go, they just start telling everybody. They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So then they returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had seen and heard and what they had been told. So the shepherds tell everybody they can on the way back in, but then they just head back out to the fields. And they just praise God, grateful for what they've seen and what they've been told. There's a thousand reasons why I love this story. But the most obvious are sitting right in front of us. Because the God of the universe shows up in the most unexpected places. The back of a cave meant for livestock and a trough that feeds animals. The birth announcement coming to a bunch of throwaway boys that no one probably believes at all. As they run through the meadow or fields to find this Jesus telling everybody they know what they'd seen and heard. This is the incredible plan of God. Are you kidding me? It's like the worst idea ever. Like if you want to make the birth announcement, right, you show up to Caesar. And you're like, hey, sucker, look what I'm getting ready to do. And you gather all the Pharisees around, right? People believe them. They don't believe shepherds. But this is what God does. He shows up in the womb of a peasant girl in a scandalous situation by which all the world would think was broken and God does the miraculous. He shows up in the back of a cave meant for livestock where animals defecate and eat. He shows up in the middle of the Middle Eastern night sky away from Jerusalem and the temple to a bunch of shepherd boys who now are in charge of telling the whole world what they saw. I got a 12-year-old, I got a 13-year-old, I need 14 now, he's something in there. You ever heard him tell a story? Terrible. <laughs> he misses all the details that are important and gets back to the fact that he's just hungry. That's the story. <laughs> this is what these shepherds now are, they're charged with, telling this great birth announcement story? But that's God, man. He shows up in these incredible ways and he does all these things and he turns every paradigm upside down. And he doesn't use the way of the world. He doesn't use all the streamlined systems. He just does the miraculous. And he uses the lowly and he uses those that everyone else would say were worth nothing. And he absolutely changes it. My prayer for myself and for you this season, right, is that we would see God and look for God in these unexpected places, right? In the small and the large places, right? And turning a cup of coffee with a friend from 10 minutes into two hours. That you would see God move in the smile of your spouse that maybe you haven't seen in years. Or in holding the hand of your kid. Or in calling your parents. 
or your strange child or that broken relationship that you had and just saying, I'm sorry. Bringing somebody into your home, your neighbors laughing over dinner. Doing things you haven't done in years. And learning someone's name at work who you never met before. Giving more, spending less. Right? Seeing God's holy presence in the most unexpected places. Not when shopping malls are done and carols have been sung and all those kind of things. But right now, on a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday afternoon, where are you seeing the Lord at work? And where can we join him? Because the truth is, Advent is about being surprised by the holiness of God in the most unexpected places. And there is room for every one of us to find the great joy of the Lord in even the smallest of things. I mean, if the birth announcement of the Savior can come through a 12-year-old shepherd, just think what God can do with you and what he can do with the people around you. So this season, our challenge is this. Look for the Lord and join him. Find where God is working around you, even in those places you didn't expect, and say, God, I want to be with you. Love the people that God loves. No one's left off that list, by the way. Love the people that God loves and join him where he is at work. Let's pray together. God, we thank you just for the moments to be able to gather here today, open up familiar story, celebrate together, and see you in the most unexpected ways and unexpected places. You are a tremendously good God. It is a definition of who you are. And I love the fact, God, that you don't always work in traditional paths and traditional ways. We don't always go the route that most people would expect you to go. But God, you use those that we might step over or step around to do the most glorious and amazing deeds. There's nothing that is beyond your control. You can show up in any way, at any time, for any purpose because you are God. And so, Lord, we honor that. So challenge us to slow down, to look for you, and to find great joy. This is the greatest news that has ever been given to humanity, that Jesus broke into our world perfectly sinless and died so that we might have life. And instead of feeling free, most of us feel tied to anxiety. Instead of feeling liberated and alive in our relationship with Christ, Lord, most of us are just disappointed where we're not. So, Lord, free us from those lies this season and let us see you in the most unexpected places and find joy in the most unanticipated corners of our life. As we close our time together in worship, Lord, I pray that you would press those things onto our hearts that we might see you and we might know you. In the risen name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.